Hello, today we've got two readings. Uh, the first reading is from John chapter 15 to 26, from 26 to 1615. And then the second reading is going to be in Romans, and that'll be Romans 8, 1 to 17. And if after I've uh, done the first reading, you could keep your finger in your Bible um, and flip to Romans, you'll, you'll need both, both um, passages for, for the sermon. Okay, so the first passage is John 15, 26 to 16, 15. When the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you, you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the father or me. I've told you this so that when your, their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stand con stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all, tr all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now we're going to move to Romans 8, 1 to 17. So if you keep your finger in John, we'll move on to, to Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, 
are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about by your adoption, uh, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in the glory, in his glory. Thank you very much, Carolyn, for reading. Um, it's great to be able to share with different people around the country. I know Carolyn's not been around in London for a little while, but really lovely to hear her. And uh, let me add my welcome to James's at the beginning. It's really lovely to have you with us today if you're not used to being along onto our YouTube channel or indeed uh, where we meet in London. It's really good to have you with us. Let me ask you, what member then of the Trinity, what person of the Trinity do you have the strongest sense of relationship with? God the Father? Is it God the Son? Or is it God the Holy Spirit? I don't know if that's something you've ever thought about before. Um, but, but I guess most of us would say that we, we sort of understand a little bit what it looks like that God is our Father. Um, Jesus is there's the Son and the relationship with him we kind of get. But but the Holy Spirit, uh, older translations, the Holy Ghost. What do we what do we do with with Him? How do we relate to Him? Well, two traps that we can easily fall into, I think. First of all, is to to become obs so obsessed with the Holy Spirit that we sort of forget the Father and the Son. This happened to a friend of mine that I lived with at university for a while, and he almost sort of <laughs> looked for the Holy Spirit as if he was the I don't know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, so desperate to see where the spirit was working, that he would go around loads of different churches in London to try and find the Holy Spirit where he was at work or watch YouTube videos of sort of supernatural miracles and those kind of things. He found Bible teaching quite boring and the son and the father, yeah, not so much, but, but the spirit, so obsessed with the spirit that he sort of lost all perspective of the Trinity. But another trap we can fall into, and I, guess this would be closer to us at Trinity, would be to keep the Holy Spirit at, at arm's length. To just say that his one job is to, well, to, to, to kind of reveal the, the Bible to us. We, we sing about that. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do that. But, but that's all he does. Nothing more than that. Well, if that's what you think, you're, you're missing out on the Holy Spirit and what he offers. So the Holy Spirit, the third member then, third person of the Trinity, is fully God. He's not an impersonal force. We don't call the Holy Spirit it. Sometimes you hear that, don't you? It. No, he's not an it. He's a person. 
a person, not with two legs and two arms, but a person who we can relate to, who we can commune with. And so that means that today it is wonderfully possible to get to know the Holy Spirit, to enjoy him, to see his, him at work in the world, in the church, and in you as well. And so like relationship with the, with the Father and the Son, we can enjoy the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be scared of the Holy Spirit. We can enjoy communion with him. I should say similarly to, to last week that we're not going to cover everything. You won't be surprised uh, to hear about the Holy Spirit. One book I was engaging with a little bit this week um, about the Holy Spirit called The Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, 432 pages. And you'll be glad to know that we're not going to go into that much depth today. Um, but if you do want to think more about um, the Holy Spirit, and, and I'm not going to cover everything, do chat to me and I can point you in the right direction of some good things to look at. But let me pray uh, for God's help before we look at this passage together. Abba Father, we cry to you, we pray to you, knowing that you love to hear our prayers uh, of your children. And we just pray for your your Spirit's help. He's enabling today that we wouldn't just, as James prayed, just understand uh, what he is doing, but we would get to know him and enjoy him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things then I want us to see. First of all, the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness. I'm sure you might have watched quite a few movies or um, kind of TV series um, since lockdown started. I'm sure you've watched the kind of thing before where, where someone's on death row. Uh, they've got minutes, hours to live before they go to the electric chair or whatever it might be. And you'll know that they have a last request, uh, maybe a, a cigarette or a favourite meal or a phone call with a family member. But I don't know if you know that a large chunk of John's gospel that, that Carolyn read to us a, min, a minute ago sort of tracks Jesus's, Jesus hours before his arrest and his death on the cross. But what's Jesus doing in those moments? Comforting. He's teaching his disciples. His heart is troubled, yet he comforts the heart of others as he prepares them for what life is going to be like after he dies and, and rises from the grave and ascends to heaven. Isn't that wonderful that he uses those moments to do that? He has some difficult words to say to them. Uh, we didn't look at them all now, but he, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Uh, Judas, you're going to betray me. Uh, all disciples, you're going to face hostility, hatred from the world for following me. And so just imagine these 12 huddled up disciples in a dark room, in this upper room in John's gospel, frightened, filled with grief, their best friend, their Messiah, their saviour, the main man, Jesus Christ, is about to go. And they're there sort of filled with grief. Yet Jesus into that says something quite astonishing. Have a look down again at John 16, verse 7. See what he says. Jesus says this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's easy to gloss over that, but, but that is astonishing, isn't it? Jesus is saying, it's for your good that I'm going. It'll be better that I go. I think that's one reason for that is Jesus' ministry was located in one place where he was. 
But the Holy Spirit's ministry will be in many places as many Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so as one title of a book put it quite well, the world, sorry, let me say that again, the spirit inside you is better than the Jesus beside you. So the kind of spirit inside you is better than the Jesus beside you. Jesus then will send this advocate, this Holy Spirit, a helper, a comforter. And Jesus said this also about him in chapter 14, that look, the world cannot accept him. It neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And the gift of the Holy Spirit or this this advocate again and again in the New Testament is linked with the ability for followers of Jesus to speak, to speak words of Jesus. The classic example, if we have it up on the screen now from Acts 1.8, Jesus again comforting his disciples before he goes to heaven says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is no longer here, but his work will continue. His work is very much alive through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives the power for mission. He empowers our witness to others. I don't know if you've ever read the book of, of Acts uh, all the way through. It's a great thing to do. Um, and look, it's called sometimes the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit, where his power is unleashed on this bunch of disciples like Peter, who, who sort of denied Jesus and cowered away before Jesus died. But now they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're bold. They're risking their lives. They're speaking of Jesus. The only explanation is the Holy Spirit. It's important as well to say that, that the Holy Spirit didn't come after Jesus went with a different agenda or to, to kind of shake things up. But he came to point people back towards Jesus. We've not been in St. Mark's, have we, for a, a few weeks. Um, hopefully we'll be back there very soon. But uh, you might remember that at the front of St. Mark's is that stained glass window of, of the picture of, of Jesus on the cross. I'm not a massive fan of stained glass windows. It's not hugely my kind of thing. But you'll notice that at the beginning, of, at the front of church there, that it, it's kind of lit up. The whole church might be dark, but that stained glass window is lit up. And if you go around to the back of the church in the park, there's some black floodlights that, that kind of flood all the light up onto that window. You, you probably have never seen them before. You've never noticed them. But they flood all the light onto the cross and, and the image of Jesus. And it's a bit like that's what the Holy Spirit's work is. He is a floodlight ministry pointing people to Jesus. Look at him. Listen to him. Go to him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He longs for the son to be honoured. And get this, that the same Holy Spirit who gave power to those first disciples to witness also lives in you, lives in ordinary Christians. That Holy Spirit dwells in all believers, not just the elite few, but dwells in us when we come to faith, giving us power to speak. I was in Pratt uh, a few weeks ago having a coffee, 49p or whatever it was, a few weeks ago when they brought all the prices down and, and finishing a sermon or something like that. And, and I was doing some work and a, a guy came into Pratt who was, um, he was obviously quite drunk and uh, he wanted a chair, he wanted to sit down. And in a classic kind of British way, everyone kind of 
you know, put their newspapers up in front of them and pulled the chairs in and didn't really want to engage with this man. But there was a lady quite near me with a young daughter there. He said, said to this guy, oh, come over, join us, come and sit with us. Quite striking. After a couple of minutes, uh, he was quite rude to her, didn't really engage at all. And after a few minutes, she started asking him some questions and she started telling him about Jesus. And I was a few tables away, kind of pretending to get on with my work, secretly listening into everything that was going on. And, and it was wonderful. She started to explain Jesus to him. And, and after he went, sort of 20 minutes later, I chatted to her, socially distant, two metres away, don't worry. And, and I, was, I was chatting to this lady. I found out a bit about her. She was from Iran. She had been in the country a couple of years. She said her English wasn't great. She had only been a Christian a couple of years. Yet she was so keen, she said, to, to share the gospel, to share the good news about Jesus to anyone, including this guy who had just come in. It was really encouraging to see. And I wonder, though, if, if our lives are perhaps so comfortable that we don't feel the need to cry out, to rely on the Holy Spirit as this lady was. Whether we're not really in the situations where we ever speak or witness about him. I know 2020 has been hard for this kind of evangelism or sharing of our faith with others. But let me urge you, as we go into this Christmas season, approaching December now, to really lean on the Holy Spirit's help. As we think about inviting people along to carol services that are coming up, as maybe we're in, in our bubbles at Christmas, there are people who don't know Jesus. Will we lean on him to help us to, uh, to, to witness to others? Maybe you feel you're the kind of person that clams up. You, you feel in, inadequate to speak. You don't know what to say to people. Well, that's a great starting position because it means we can rely on him and his help. We don't fly solo, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. I remember a few years ago, a church uh, that I was at, uh, one evening, um, uh, sort of midweek in the summer, we, we went out from the church to the local park nearby. We went out in twos. And we had an hour or so just to chat to people um, about Jesus, to kind of strike up a conversation. It's the kind of thing that's terrifying, but also sort of always goes much better than you think. And it's always really encouraging. And I, really good news for me on that night was that I was paired with a guy who was much more eloquent than me, probably knows Bible better than me, more charming and funny and really good with people. And it was such a relief for me that I was going with this other guy. But actually, for all of us, there's something better than that. We have the Holy Spirit. The spirit inside you is even better than the Jesus beside you. And so will you ask for his empowerment, his help, even when you're fearful? Even the great Peter in the book of Acts did that. He's the Holy Spirit of witness. Second thing then that the Holy Spirit does, that the Holy Spirit enables us to change. He enables us to be more holy. Forget the sort of images of the halo going around the head or, or Ned Flanders on, on The Simpsons. No, holiness is, is simply looking more like Jesus in our words, in our actions, in our lives. This is how it's described in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's why in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 4, he's described as the Spirit of holiness. 
See, it was the spirit who, who brought us from death to life spiritually. But the good news is that it's the same spirit who enables us to change, to be more like Jesus. Sometimes the, the sort of technical word for that is sanctification. And so if you look down at Romans 8, that second reading that we had, verse 10, let me read from there, Romans 8, verse 10 and 11. It says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives within you. So the Holy Spirit here describes as a life giver. But did you notice, get, get this, that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you. Resurrection power is already running through your veins. And so if you're a Christian, know that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you so that you don't need to sin in the way that you did before. Sin's not inevitable. The Holy Spirit gives new desires, new power to change. As James said at the beginning, he gives fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so forth. That doesn't mean that, that Christians will be perfect. If you've hung out with any Christians, if you've been around Trinity, you'll know that that's not true. We're not perfect. But although we're not sinless, we will, with the Spirit's help, sin less. But nonetheless, it is a battle. Have a look at verse 13 of Romans 8. For if you live according to the spirit of the flesh, sorry, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Life lived in the spirit then is, is to be in a battle with sin. It's a two-way thing. We don't just put our feet up when we become a Christian and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. No, it's a two-way thing. But we don't fight in our own strength and power. We fight in his. And he gives us progress. He gives us victory. Although, of course, there will be ups and downs. And two ingredients. Let me show you two ingredients that the Holy Spirit gives us for sanctification, for change. First of all, he gives us the Bible, his words. The Holy Spirit then has, has inspired the Bible. And I, I don't know if you've ever had it in a sermon or a Bible study where kind of you've... Uh, I don't know, the, the preacher said something and it's almost like he said it right to you. Or in a Bible study, someone says something and it's, the Holy Spirit just pressed on your heart and said, yeah, that's me. Your sin has been exposed and you want to change. I've been encouraged just twice in the last week, actually. Um, two people at Trinity have apologised to me about something. Nothing big, uh, nothing no, nothing huge. To be honest, I, neither time I felt that an apology was really needed, but it was interesting to see that the Holy Spirit, people that knew their Bibles, the Holy Spirit has just pressed his finger on something in their life and they've thought, do you know, I need to say sorry about that. The Holy Spirit is at work. He's at work through his word, but also, second little thing, through community as well. It's not that we change then in isolation, but we do it through community, through church. And I wonder if this then challenges our, our prayer requests in small groups. Those who are involved in small groups on Tuesday nights. But look, it's easy, isn't it, to ask for prayer requests about work being quite busy or uh, great Aunt Edna's toe that's got the infection back again. And we ask for, maybe we don't do that so much, but we, we pray for those kind of things maybe. But, but how maybe honest are we about the battle that we're in? 
prayers for the Holy Spirit's help as we engage the battle with sin. You know, as we ask maybe someone in our small group, can you pray for me? I'm I'm really feeling the, the kind of draw to the love of money at the moment. Can you pray that I would fight that with the Spirit's help? Or there's a guy at work, he's, he's not a Christian, and he, you know, he's kind of signaled that he clearly quite likes me, and, and I quite like him, but I, I know that's not a good relationship. And can you pray that the Holy Spirit would help me in that battle? Wouldn't it be great if we could go deeper and pray about those heart things in small groups? But I wonder whether we don't sometimes feel the work of the Holy Spirit because we're not on the front line of the battle against sin in one way or another. Let me put it like this. Imagine uh, you've got a, a Ford Mondeo, a good car back in the day, but but today it's a bit past it and it only goes 20 miles an hour. OK, uh, it's not a great car. It only goes 20 miles an hour. And a friend says to you, look, I'm going to get you a new car. In fact, I'm going to give you a BMW M3 turbocharged engine. I, I don't really know what that is, but it sounds impressive. And I Googled it earlier. And they've given you this amazing new car. And after a week, they, they get in touch with you again and, and say, how was it? How was the new car? And you say to them, well, uh, it's OK. I, I don't know. I didn't really notice the difference. You're a bit confused and the person's a bit confused and you have a bit of a chat. And they find out that you've only been driving it at 20 miles an hour around Islington, probably, with the, the speed restrictions. You've not gone over that speed limit. You've got a car here that can do naught to 60 in three seconds, but you've, 30 seconds, sorry, three seconds, but you've never hit the accelerator. You've got this amazing car, but you've never used it. You never put the foot on, on the gas. And I wonder whether we've got the Holy Spirit, but we've never relied on him, never wanted him to change us in this kind of way. He enables us to change. He can do that. But it is possible to respond to him negatively or positively. Negatively, then, we can turn our eyes from the sin that he exposes. And so the New Testament would be clear that we can grieve the Holy Spirit as we sort of reject his word. But we can also respond to him positively as we live a life empowered by him, enjoying his power to resist the pull of sin. In those moments where we're tempted to, I don't know, exaggerate a story to make ourselves look a bit funnier than we are. Or boast about an achievement to make ourselves sort of look better than we are in, in a situation. Or join in the gossip with people at work. When, when we're tempted to do those things, we can enjoy the Spirit's help and communion in those moments with him. We can say no to sin and yes to godliness now because the Spirit dwells in us. We can say yes to a Zoom Bible study rather than I'm a celebrity on a Tuesday night. We can say yes to prayer rather than anxiety. Seek the Holy Spirit. He enables you to change and to be more like Christ. Well, third thing we're going to see more briefly, that the Holy Spirit then assures us of our adoption. And those of you who have been paying good attention, I know it's a bit harder sometimes on uh, YouTube to do that, uh, to pay attention, but, but you might notice that we've come full circle here from where we started this series, adoption. Do you remember we saw that if we're, we're joined, if we're united with Jesus Christ in faith, then we can call God Father. He's adopted us. The Father and the Son we've seen at work. But here in Romans 8, it says that it's the Holy Spirit 
who makes us aware or who gives us assurance that we are sons and daughters of God. And this isn't just intellectual, it, it's experiential as well. How does he do that? Well, two ways in Romans 8. Very briefly here, the, the Holy Spirit prompts us to cry out and pray, Abba, Father. Look at verse 15, the second half. It says, by him, that's the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. That is such an intimate term. It's the, the term that Jesus prayed as he prayed to his Father. Now we take that on our lips. It's the cry of little Micah, my son, you know, falling over and saying, Daddy, help. It's that intimate cry. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it says no one can cry Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. And, and similarly, no one can cry Abba, Father, without the Holy Spirit living in them. He prompts us to pray. Second little thing, the Holy Spirit, through this, bears witness internally in our experience that we really are children of God. He presses then the, the promises of adoption into our hearts and into our lives. And he assures us that with all of life's ups and downs, and there's been many this year, that that father-child relationship is the greatest reality in our life. It's unshakable. It's eternal. We're accepted. We're loved in the Son. But you might hear this and, and think, sounds good, but if I'm honest, Nathan, I, I don't have that assurance. I don't feel that, that I, I kind of experienced that really very much in my life. Well, it might be that you're not, you've never asked Jesus for forgiveness. Perhaps you're, you're listening into this and you're not a Christian and you would love that relationship with God, but, but you've never asked him to, to forgive you. And, and today would be a wonderful time to do that. But if you are a Christian and you still sort of have those doubts and have that lack of assurance, let me say three things to you personally. One, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. The devil uh, loves to, to kind of get in and, and disturb and distort our, our assurance that we have at times. And so the cry of all Christians is, is this. I believe, not I feel, but I believe, help my unbelief. Second little thing is, listen again to the Bible when we have those doubts of assurance. The same Holy Spirit who spoke through the word that, that convicted us at first still speaks to us and presses those promises in of adoption. So, so engage with the Bible, with the truths and promises of God's words. Third little thing, look for evidence in your life. We, we need to be a bit careful about this, but is there any evidence in your life that you're fighting sin, that you're loving other Christians, that you're standing for truth? If there's any evidence of that, that's a really encouraging sign. If you do have those doubts and you want to chat again to me, do get in touch. I'd love to chat with you. But the Father is pleased to give us, through the Holy Spirit, firm assurance that we really are children of God. And so we finish this series, these three weeks that we've taken to enjoy God. And we said near the beginning that being a Christian is not just about having our sins forgiven and being saved from judgment, although that is a wonderful thing. It's also what we're saved for. We're saved for enjoyment, experience, relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. We can have communion, relationship 
with the God who loves us. That experience with God will not always be emotional highs if we build our hopes on our feelings alone. That's pretty uh, shaky foundations to build on. But yet there is an experiential nature of our faith. We can have a genuine relationship, two-way relationship with the God of the universe. And so as we, maybe tomorrow or one morning in the future, as we wake up on a cold morning, the alarm goes off too early and we, we draw back our curtains in the morning and we feel perhaps weighed down with responsibilities in life. God feels a bit distant. We feel spiritually dry. We can say to ourselves in those moments, like, I can enjoy God. I can enjoy, enjoy him as father. He loves me. He's adopted me. He, he gives me good gifts. But I can also enjoy Jesus, the son, the son who he loves me, that he paid that full atonement on the cross, that he sat down at the right hand of God for me. And he's coming back. He's returning one day as well for me. But I can also enjoy the Holy Spirit. I can enjoy his empowerment as I witness and I share the gospel in my weakness with others. I can enjoy that enabling that he, he gives in my life so that I can really genuinely change to be more like Jesus. And I can enjoy that assurance that he, he gives, that he presses on my life of that adoption and know that God really does love me and treasure me. Well, let me just leave it a few moments now for us to, to think about some of these things that we've heard today, perhaps pray. And then I'll lead us in a prayer before we go over to Safi to lead us in prayer as well. Dear Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one who empowers us to witness. Thank you for the way that you gave that great boldness to those early disciples in the book of Acts, but in the way that you still give boldness to that lady in Pret the other day, and in our lives you can give us that boldness as well. May we lean on you this Christmas. Thank you that you enable us to change as well, that we can't change on our own by the flesh, but by the Holy Spirit's help we really can change as people to be more like Jesus. And thank you that you assure us of our adoption, that we really can know that the Father loves us because we are in Christ. Spirit, thank you for your ministry and your work. Would you press these wonderful truths into our hearts this week even, we pray. Amen.